it's all our mind. Sometimes we kind of look at something like hypnosis or hypnotherapy and we think that it's some strange thing that we're doing. But actually, oh, I mean, the word hypnosis is a, I think it's a poor name for it. It's Hypnosis is the Greek god of sleep. So it's not sleep. We're not sleeping. What we're doing is we are trying to focus the mind. So, but the beauty of it all is it is all within the mind. The mind is doing all the work. Um, and the best thing I can do is to be a facilitator, to guide a little bit and to prompt, but to let the mind do th- do the work. Um, whether that's the experience or whether the, the healing that it needs to do or the resolving of its conflicts between a part of the mind thinking that anxiety is a good um, emotion for sitting in a crowd of people against another part of the mind that is saying this isn't the way I should be feeling. This is actually interfering with my happiness, my joy, my experience of being out with friends. So it's again, it's try to help the mind to resolve its conflict by bringing the conflicting parts together. So it's really as it's a, the power and the strength is all within our mind. And I think that's what's so good about this is that nobody knows our minds better than ourselves. So it's about using the mind, the person's own mind. It knows what all the problems are. It generates the problems. It's, it's responsible for the problems. So if we want to resolve anything, go to the, the thing that actually created the problem or uh, because it will have the solution as well. It knows how you want to be, what you want to experience, what you need to experience. Uh, so it's a facilitation, really. Welcome to today's episode of Unleash Thyself. I am your host, Constantine Morun, and today I'm delighted to introduce you to Stephen Towell, a highly skilled hypnotherapist based in Scotland. With years of experience and several professional qualifications, Stephen specializes in the intriguing and often misunderstood field of past life regression and between lives spiritual hypnosis. In today's episode, we're diving deep into the world of hypnotherapy and hypnosis. Stephen will demystify what past life regression is and the benefits that can come from exploring our previous lives. We'll also look at how hypnosis is not a form of mind control. You are fully in control during the process and Stephen is just a facilitator, guiding your mind to do its work. We'll debunk some of the fears surrounding hypnosis and why it's vital to understand that our subconscious mind is always active, always listening. And for those of you curious about the notion of in-between lives or even future life progression, we'll tap into those topics as well. Is this all a figment of our imagination? Well, you'll have to tune in to find out. Stephen's insights and techniques offer a window into an alternative form of therapy that holds the promise of not just healing, a profound personal insight. So, if you're looking to delve into the deeper layers of our subconscious, having a desire to unlock mysteries from past or even future lives, or seeking alternative paths to emotional and spiritual well-being, you won't want to miss today's episode. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Unleash Thyself. I am thrilled to welcome Stephen Towell to the show. Stephen, we can't wait to hear more about the experiences and insights that have led you to where you are today and your Unleashed moment, the moment you knew you were on your own path to becoming the best version of yourself. Stephen, such a pleasure to have you with us. Yeah, welcome to you. Thanks to uh, having me. Yeah, thank you. So, Stephen, you are right now today a hypnotherapist specializing in past life regression. How does one get to do what you do and 
what made you jump into it? It's something that I've been interested in most of my life. I'm a big believer in following your passions. And for me, most of the passions that I had when I was young, which hypnosis was one of them, I had a big curiosity about it. And I've been lucky enough just to, and it's been with me since I've been pretty young. It's about probably 13 is when I first remember taking an interest in it. Okay. And has your path taken you to hypnotherapy right out of school, let's say, after high school or? No, I had a bit more of a, so I was an accountant. So I was an accountant for quite a number of years, but it was probably in the last five or six years that I decided to make it, to go self-employed, to make it my full-time career. So it was always there in the background and I was always still doing it, but it was a, I guess it was the leap of faith that this was what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah, that's a, that's a great reminder of once you go back to your passions, to the root of it, right, to what makes your heart sing and follow your heart, you, you cannot look back. And why do you think you went down more of a traditional path with accountant and not jumping right into what your passion was, which was a mix of music and, of course, the hypnosis? It's that social conditioning, I suppose, that when I left school, it was, okay, you need to find a job from where I am and probably most places in the world, you're not really encouraged to be someone who might be uh, someone that goes and finds their own way in the world. It was really, you leave school, you find a job. And and even being an accountant, it wasn't even what I wanted to do. I went to college before then as well, and that wasn't what I studied. But I guess my path took me in that direction. I've always been someone that's went with the flow. So, But it, that job put me in a good position. It was a good a good job it was a decent paid job and I guess it when it came to that leap of faith and to do what I'm doing um, it gave me a, a sort of financial and secure background to to do it so it played its part I guess in my path yeah absolutely absolutely that's that's how it usually goes and what would you say the biggest catalyst was for you to finally follow your passion it was like a flow it was just that interest in it that passion that love for it I was always really curious even as a child when I was maybe 17, 18, when I, when I learned actual how to hypnotize for the first time. It was my six-year-old brother, funnily enough, who I did. Uh, it was the first subject that I ever worked with. And my first ever past life regression that I did with him as well. It was just this real curiosity about the unknown. What is hypnosis? What? How, how does it work? How, does, how can you see stage hypnosis and you see people doing all these weird and wonderful things that they don't seem to really know that they're doing it? And so... That sort of piqued my curiosity and, and it, it remained the passion. Just like other things like art. I've always been a creative person, so art and music and all these things was, were where I was really good at and how I found. And it was even, I guess, self-discovery. I was never really great at certain things at school, but the creative side of it was what I was really good at. And even as an accountant, it was, I guess it was my ability to look at systems and how they could be done better and ideas of to improve things so i was all i've always had this kind of creative and curious mind and it seems to have led me down these paths that i do now that's amazing Stephen. and let's i guess go back to the hypnotherapy for a second with the past life regression for those that are listening to us right now and most people know what hypnotherapy is but not everyone has heard about past life regression or may not even know what it is can you tell us a bit more about how you see past life regression yeah, so so first of all, it's a phenomena. It's something that maybe came out of hypnosis where people have worked in a regressional way where they may ask someone to go back to the root of a, where they started feeling a, an anxiety or a fear of something. 
And the phenomena in some cases is when people start just to just, just describe this completely different life. Um, and often if it's a fear of drowning, for instance, it may be that they drowned in the past life. So it's a sort of phenomena that, that seems to sit within these unconscious elements of our mind. So hypnosis helps to bring it forward. And the way that I see what it is, it's almost the accumulation of who we are. So if you think about, for instance, all your years that you attended school, now you probably can't remember probably 90%, maybe even 95% of every single day that you went to school and what happened in that day, what lessons did you learn and how you even learned some of the things. Um, it's became, but I guess we, we've accumulated the learning, the understanding, the knowledge, the, the way to write, read and write. So it now becomes just part of what we are, um, even though we can't remember everything about it. And past life, I think, is something similar. Again, it's it's not um, really prevalent in our current life so it's not something that we need to maybe remember because we're too busy living this life but it sits there at this unconscious level just like uh, perhaps all the experiences of the rest of your life that you don't really remember and hypnosis helps to bring these things forward but they're all playing out they're still like we said it's the accumulation of all these lives that we've lived before we carry some deeper understanding of how we're good at coping in certain circumstances, how some people are maybe more naturally good at certain things. So my perception is it's the accumulation. It's of what we are and who we are. Okay, that's a, that's a great explanation there, Stephen. So you mentioned that sometimes people do passive aggression because they're looking to cure an anxiety or something similar to that. What are other benefits of one coming to you and saying, you know what, let's do a past life regression. Like we'll go back, we'll see different lives we live. What are some benefits that we can bring back with us or learn? There's many different ways to work with the mind. So we can use hypnotherapy to resolve fear or a phobia. Past life regression is just another way that potentially if we use regression, it may even be in this life. So to go in to try and find the why we are acting or reacting in certain ways just by using a past life regression, it may not be be a past life that it comes from. So hypnotherapy can really work on all these, uh, whether it's past life, current life, whatever. It's part of the mind and it's a way of working on it. But the benefits of past life, I guess, are that it's a curious thing. I mean, everybody probably, well, there's a lot of people probably wonder, well, if this is a thing, what would I have been? Who would I have been? But the benefits that it can bring, I guess, is if we do carry some phobia or some fear it may be a fear of flying, it may be a fear of drowning, it may be a, I don't know, a fear of you know, certain animals or something. And it may be that from that past life, this is where it, where we sort of developed it. So it's about going back to find where the this phobia, this fear came from. And the past life regression can help us to then release that fear, knowing that it's, I guess it's not a, a useful fear in this current life, but also resources so it may be that I've had I've had clients that have been shown a couple of different lives, uh, and one may be that they've had a really hard and difficult life. Um, I mean, there's one that sticks in mind where they were a, a woman who apparently was ugly, never married, had a horrible job, and uh, never really sounds like a pretty miserable life to be honest. But then was shown this other life where they were very 
very nice, settled and happy, nice family, nice position in the sort of town that they lived. But what the message? And again, this this we come into another area, which is more the spiritual side of it, which is the what I call the between lives. So this more spiritual experience where we may get under, more understanding of why we were shown these past lives. And the message here was really just said, well, the, the life that you had that was really pleasant, nice family, you, know, you probably didn't learn a lot from that life. But that difficult life where you had to face all those challenges and difficulties, even though it was hard and challenging, you gained a lot of strength. And probably so. what it was saying was it's not always the easiest path that gives you greatest learning. And that was the message for that particular client. So I guess it's shown that, and so that it really, it was maybe given some kind of indication of whatever it was they were going through in their current life. The, this is your experience of what happened before, but it could be resources as well. Things that abilities, and maybe they are struggling with something and it's almost like, well, this is what you've dealt with before this. You've already got that developed skill. You shouldn't be worrying maybe as much about what you're going through now because you're actually stronger maybe than what you actually believe or that you think you are. So it can be a bit of a healing, bit of a, an understanding or a sort of awareness of more about what we are and who we are. Yeah. So almost like a reminder of certain things, like you said, that maybe we've forgotten from our school years. And in this case, of course, it's our past lives. Yeah. That we can bring into this life. Yeah. So I, I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, true. it's like I can add up, I can do multiplication, I can do, I can spell, I can write and, but I don't remember really. I, I've got one memory of sitting, a very early memory sitting, looking at a blackboard and reading some letters. I've got a vague, vague memory of that, but that's as close as I can remember. But yet here I can hear, speak fluently, I can talk, I can write. And so it's, I don't need to remember it. It's just a developed ability that is, that is part of what I am now. Hey, it's Constantine here. And I want to take a brief moment to truly thank you for being a part of this incredible journey of transformation. You are the reason we are creating this content. I see you and I appreciate you. Your support truly means the world to me. I want to ask you for a small favor. I'd love for you to join our mission by hitting like, subscribe, or leaving a thoughtful comment or review. Your engagement helps others discover these insights and together we can continue to unlock the power of authenticity and personal transformation. And if you want to reach out directly to me, send me an email at constantine at unleashedyself.com. I value any and all feedback. Thank you for being a part of this movement. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, sometimes that's all we need, the reminder that we have those abilities within ourselves. Yeah. So when it comes to past life regression, is it that anyone that can undertake take hypnosis can go back and can see or can experience some of those past lives or is it also specific to the individual and their willingness to to, to allow you so this, i guess the human mind is so different and so diverse so there is some people that can struggle a little bit now i actually when i started studying clinical hypnotherapy and um, working more and just with mindset and mental health i did that really to try and figure to 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 maybe increase and to make my abilities with hypnosis better to learn more about it so i thought that would be a good path to take to try and develop my hypnosis skills and and the, one of the reasons i did that was really to try and so so i, I recognize that there are some people that just can't they don't seem to sort of respond as well as other people so uh, it's a bit of a spectrum some people are just amazing it's like they're there and they're experiencing it. other people struggle 
So there's a bit of a, a spectrum on it, but you can find from what my understanding and what I've learned is there can be various different factors that contribute to what someone may be struggling. One could be a deep-rooted fear. It may just be that they 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 worry about the process. They, they think that it's some kind of mind control, which it technically isn't. It's actually more of a facilitation to help someone discover more about their mind um, they maybe take that from a stage hypnosis where it looks like someone's telling you what to do and you've got no control over that um, and so there, there can be a deep rated fear that may sort of stop you from doing it it could be a certain people who are quite a controlling person that they don't like they want to be in control and they 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 may resist in some sort of way thinking that maybe you're doing something that they've got no control over so again Someone that can be quite controlling may struggle a little bit. But do you know what I've seen? I've had clients that say, to come to me and say, well, that control and analytical people are another type of people that can sometimes struggle. But again, I've had people that say these things and then they come and then they have a really good session. So, so it's hard to sort of know really. There is There just seems to be a sort of spectrum on it. And there is just some people that do amazing. Some people, most people are in the middle somewhere and then you get some, the odd people that seem to just struggle, possibly on multiple reasons. One of the ones I've found can be quite difficult is the, what's the, forget what the condition is, but maybe some people with certain, I guess, labels on their mind, like um, Asperger's or something. The, the These sort of people, they have a very, I guess, unique mind, which has its strengths in itself, but sometimes they can struggle. They're quite black and white thinking, some of these type, some people, so it's, it's really, it's hard, it's hard to sort of really pinpoint, but there is a bit of a mixture of or a spectrum, I think, is the best way to sort of describe it or how people do within sessions. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like anything else in life, right? Sometimes you have to try it to see if it's for you and if it works for you. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, Stephen. I actually did my first hypnotherapy session maybe a month and a half ago now, and I didn't know what to expect going in, but all I did is I had an open mind. And I'm someone that's a bit more controlling. I'm someone that has an analytical mind like you're describing. It wasn't difficult. Yeah, past the first few minutes, right? Where your brain is like, "What are we doing? Why are we doing this?" Yeah, that, that's that. It's I mean, it's it's the best way to approach it. Just go in and see. That's why I, I say that to a lot of people. Just go in and see what happens. The worst thing you can do is put pressure on yourself, and that's the analytical part of the mind that might start to question things. Am I making this up? Is this just a da 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 da? I explain it sometimes. Like, have you ever? seen maybe say a mother takes a little kid uh, for the day so the kid's maybe three years old or something and she meets her friend and they're having a conversation but then the little kid decides he wants something so he's run up mommy mommy can i get this can i can i get sweets can i get this and and the woman's trying to have a conversation and she'll turn around and she'll be like can you stop i'm trying to have a conversation um and it's impossible to have that communication because of this distraction and that's a little bit like sometimes with a this conscious awareness, conscious mind, this critical mind is, am I making this up? Is this just imagination? And and it's sort of interfering. It's getting in the way of the communication with the kind of unconscious type part of the mind you're trying to tap into. So the best thing you can always say is just push that away. It's a bit like people that meditate. There's some, some people will say it's trying to just get that stillness, that silence. The thing about hypnosis is it's a state of focus. We're trying to focus the mind. So whether we're trying to focus the mind to some part of the mind that is creating an anxiety or a fear, or whether it's trying to focus the mind to recall some sort of past life, it's all about focus. And if the, if the mind is focused too much on thoughts and other things, questions it's asking, then it's detracting from 
its ability to focus on these other parts that we're trying to get to. You're absolutely right, because I remember my mind was doing exactly that, especially at the beginning. And as it, as it got deeper, I'd be like questioning, like, how is this real? How does this work? And I'll be honest with you, it was one of the strongest experiences of my life. And I've tried many things in my life. So for this to be at the top, it has to be really good. And it worked. And the, the beauty that it's all our mind. Sometimes we kind of look at something like hypnosis or hypnotherapy, and we think that it's some 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 strange thing that we're doing. But actually, I mean, the word hypnosis is a, I think it's a poor name for it. It's Hypnosis is the Greek god of sleep. So it's not sleep. We're not sleeping. What we're doing is we are trying to focus the mind. So... But the beauty of it all is it's all within the mind. The mind is doing all the work. Um, and the best thing I can do is to be a facilitator, to guide a little bit and to prompt, but to let the mind do th- do the work, um, whether that's the experience or whether the, he- the healing that it needs to do or the resolving is, of its conflicts between a part of the mind thinking that anxiety is a good ex- um, emotion for sitting in a crowd of people against another part of the mind that is staying present the way I should be feeling this is actually interfering with my happiness my joy my experience of being out with friends it's try to help the mind to resolve its conflict by bringing the conflicting parts together so it really is it's a the power and the strength is all within our mind and I think that's what's so good about this is that nobody knows our minds better than ourselves so it's about using the mind the person's own mind it knows what all the problems are. It generates the problems. It's it's responsible for the problems. So if we want to resolve anything, go to the the thing that actually created the problem, or uh, because it will have the solution as well. It knows how you want to be, what you want to experience, what you need to experience. Uh, so it's a facilitation, really. That's such a beautiful explanation, Stephen. I love that, and I love the message of the fact that you have the answers within, and you are the person that can heal yourself, make that happen. It's just sometimes you need a bit of help. Like you said, you need a facilitator, maybe a, a method that yeah. allows you to go in and, and heal those parts or remove those fears and anxieties. So that's really beautiful. And I would imagine that's your that's more the clinical hypnotherapy side of it, right? Like that's if I want to work on, let's say, an anxiety or maybe my inner child, something that a trauma for my childhood, I would imagine that's more of the clinical hypnotherapy side. And then if, of course... If it cannot be solved through that, then you look at past life regression. Am I understanding yeah. that correctly? Uh, yes and no. Um, I mean, that, that is a big factor of the clinical side, how, how I work. Even in the same way um, with past life regression, I try not to be too, what's the word for it, directive, to be too sort of suggestive from where I want to go. So a lot of the time, the person probably comes with, if they've booked a past life regression, then that's what they want to experience. So they probably already carry a suggestion that that's what they'll experience. But what I try to do is not to be too directive. So it's just a case of allow the mind to go to where it needs to go to. Um, and it, and it's amazing. See, the, more, the less I do, the for some reason, the, the more powerful the session. It's almost like with the past life, it's like I said, there was that woman who experienced two different lives. Um, one was a man, one was a woman, and the two different lives. Um, there was a message behind it all towards our current life but these two lives actually helped her to realize what it was that she needed to know and it was almost like the mind knew exactly where it had to show her some part somewhere higher self or 
ever is, uh, knew exactly what had to happen in that experience to help that person. So again, it's even in these circumstances, it's it's the mind almost knows what it what it needs to do. So let the mind lead the way almost. Yeah, exactly. That's a beautiful way to approach it. And one question I have, and this is more for people in the audience than myself. So my experience uh, with hypnotherapy, the session I did, it didn't start very visual, but it became very visual the deeper we went. Are visuals something that most people can expect when they go deep into therapy and past life regression, or is it a combination of visions, feelings, emotions, and pretty much the gamut? Yeah, so that's a good point. Uh, we use these communication systems, visual, kinesthetic, which is feeling, and auditory. So there are three main communication systems. We've also got other senses, which are smell and taste, which I think fall under kinesthetic but so we've got these three communication systems now there's some figures on it and i can't remember the source of the figures but it's something like six percent of people are primarily auditory uh, and i think it's something like 40 something is maybe uh, it's, a, it's a low 40s i think for kinesthetic but a higher one uh, the visual so there's there's more visual people but that doesn't mean that we, we can use all all of them i mean there's some people even recall smells and some past life regressions and things as well but but there are three communication systems so like you said you may go into a session and you don't visualize very well and it's quite important for me to explain that in a pre-talk because if someone has very maybe their visual communication isn't developed as well it's not their primary but they're very strong in the kinesthetic they can go into an experience um not visualizing something so there's that part of the mind going okay this isn't working i can't see anything i'm expecting to see something but nothing so i've had amazing sessions with people who have went to other people and said it just doesn't work for them but i realized they were very kinesthetic and i actually worked with more of the kinesthetic what do you feel what do you what do you know what you're aware of rather than what do you see um, and that's quite a kind of key thing and success is really the person determining that it's not always just about visualizing but what we say we do have these other senses so you were able to sort of maybe become more visual within the session so again it's a, it's a one of these sort of things that's above a spectrum you get very very visual people that are there and the, they are, they're living this life and then there's other people that they don't see it very well it's a bit maybe even fuzzy but they are kind of general understanding of what's happening and what's going on so so yeah it's a that's a key part actually it's about how we can, we can even tell i mean it's this is stuff that comes out of a lot of nlp do a lot of stuff with this with the the visual the kinesthetics of neuro neurolinguistic programming for anyone who doesn't know it's another sort of developed study way of working with the mind some this ties to a lot of hypnotherapy and things they so yeah so so they can really look at it as a visual kinesthetic and as, and as the communication systems and you'll hear it in language so someone who is very as highly visual may say things so you might say to them tell me about that problem and they'll say well the way i'm looking at it at the moment is that it's xxxx and i can see what you've been saying but but i seem to have a different perspective and i'm looking at it maybe in a different way so they're they're saying things like the way i see it the way i look at it or the way you look at it they're using visual words, whereas a kinesthetic person may be talking about, it just feels like a weight on my shoulders, like I'm trudging through mud. So again, they'll maybe be using more 
um, kinesthetic word in the same, some of the primary auditory might be saying things like, I hear what you're saying, but it sounds to me like it's, so again, you can hear it in language, the words that people use sort of can often determine what sense, I guess, is more primary with them. That's a, that's a beautiful way to look at it. I never thought of it that way. Very, very interesting. And I know you mentioned a, a minute ago or so that one of the fears that people have coming into doing a hypnotherapy is losing control, right? And that's, of course, something that was on my mind as well. But one thing I didn't realize even going in is that you're actually in control the entire time Yeah. as a person having hypnotherapy done to you. And I would imagine that's the case with you as well. And most people that practice hypnotherapy, right? You're not essentially mind controlling the person like you mentioned earlier, yeah. right? It's all about the, the, the subject being in full control. Yeah, that's like, that's the best way. I mean, there is highly suggestible people and that's the type of people that stage hypnotists will be looking for. So if you've ever seen a stage show for hypnosis, they will get, well, maybe all these volunteers to come up will probably do all these little tests, the the suggestibility tests, which are getting people's hands to stick together and things. So, so they're they're looking for certain types of people. So again, it's a spectrum idea that there is certain people that are very accommodating, maybe or more uh, sort of open to the experience. Whereas there may be someone sitting going, oh, "I don't wipe up there. There's not a chance I wipe up there. I'll never go up there." And, and if my hands stick together, I might not even do it because I don't want to go up. So their people are absolutely, the, the, the hypnotherapist will, will send them back because they, they're not going to, they're going to resist. They're going to cause a lot, they'll have a lot of resistance and they won't have a good show. So so isn't so as you're saying, it's as much as, even though there are these people that are doing these things, they're still kind of aware of it. And if they wanted to, they can just leave that stage and go back to their chair if they don't want to take, partake in that show. Um, and it's the same, same with hypnosis, is you're always in control. If you want to open your eyes, you open your eyes. And, and an old concept as well, some people used to say was, what if I can't wake back up? I don't get that as much as what I, I used to a long time ago. But again, it's, as, as I try to explain that, is that you're in control. If you want to open your eyes, you open your eyes. If the internet goes down, then you my voice will disappear. And all you do is you open your eyes to find out why is that disappeared. It's not like in three weeks' time, you're still sitting there in front of a, a blank screen just in some disappearing trance somewhere. So you're still aware, you're still conscious. The best way to describe it, I say a lot of people, is it's a bit like a daydream. A daydream, you're sort of, you're there and you're sort of aware, but you're somewhere else as well. And that's the best way to describe it. But you can just come straight, snap straight back out whenever you want to. So yeah, it's, I always say it's a facilitation rather than a control. Yeah, absolutely. I love the, the explanation, Stephen. And you mentioned earlier as well, it's it's about getting the brain out of the way so you can work with the subconscious, both you as a facilitator and, of course, the person that's that's getting the hypnosis done to them. And speaking of the unconscious or the subconscious, you do mention this, and I've seen it on your website, that the unconscious or the subconscious is always listening. What do you mean by that? When you think about conscious and subconscious, to start with, or unconscious, they're kind of they're models of how our minds work. So we don't actually have a conscious part of the mind and an unconscious part. It's a, a way of looking at how the mind works. So... To describe how the, the unconscious or the subconscious, maybe I'll explain that a little bit more about what that. Look at me at the moment, right? I've just, I'm, I'm going to freeze all my muscles, everything. I'm going to s- just show you that my hands are, why are my hands there? I don't know why my hands are up here. Uh, why aren't they sitting down there? Some part of my mind, the other doing it again, they're moving around. Some part of my mind has decided, and it's better knowledge, uh, wisdom, that I can communicate to you better by moving my hands. I can feel my, my face moving around a little bit as well. 
facial expressions. So there's all of these things kind of happening unconsciously, but probably for some reason. So uh, in terms of how the unconscious is always listening. So to give you an example, uh, let's say you were sitting in a bar or a pub and you were sober and you weren't drinking. Everybody else was. And I don't know if there's probably, most people have experienced this. We're probably okay for the first hour, two hours, but the drunker people get, the more they start to ramble, they repeat the story, they get louder, they're um, just, they're all talking over each other. So if you were sitting there sober, you would be probably getting into some little trance. You're probably sitting, maybe even thinking about, I wonder what time I can go home at, maybe I should stay for a little bit longer. So you are... Again, it's that, that focus. You're focused away from that conversation. But they may say, well, what do you think about it, Constantine? And look back. And you've been you've been out of it a little bit, but at some level you've still been listening. The unconscious mind, this part, this unconscious element of the mind is taking in so much information. So you may have even caught some of that conversation while you were drifting away a little bit. And you may be able to kind of recollect and see, and it's and just as it's always listening, it's always seeing, it's always always feeling. So it's not just the the, the auditory element of always listening; it's doing them all. And another example of that could be you walking down a street. Um, now you may start to sweat, and it's because the the temperature is getting really really warm. Now you'll be maybe you may at some point become consciously aware that you have started to sweat, but. What was it that, why did it start to sweat in the first place? Your unconscious mind was aware of the temperature and it had decided that your body had to try and cool down a little bit. So it starts to process these physical reactions. It could be also that you're walking down and a car passes by and someone says, what color was that? You but I have no idea, but your unconscious mind and its peripheral vision would have took in that color. So there's so many things going around, around us at the, the one time. Right, there's a start on this as well. And I think it's that the, so again, it's this model of conscious and unconscious, but the unconscious or subconscious mind is supposed to be aware of 11 million bits of information. And apparently it chunks them up into 2 million chunks of information every second. Whereas the conscious mind is only aware of seven plus or minus two things at one time. So your conscious mind is only, can only be aware of a couple of things. Whereas your unconscious mind, like we're saying, taking the temperature, taking in the the sounds, there may be children playing over in the distance and a dog barking somewhere. Your mind is taking all this in. So that that's I guess that's what it, what it means by it. it's always listening. It's always it's always there uh, in the background doing much more than what we probably even comprehend. And in my mind, it also means that that's why we have access to so much information within. We just can't necessarily access to, you know, stay in stillness, like you said, listen, maybe go into hypnosis to be able to tap into some of that knowledge yeah. that was absorbed, but we forgot. And that, that's why hypnosis is so good because, like we said, it's a state of focus. It's focusing the mind, helping the mind to get by this critical thinking and to focus in on other other aspects so it this i guess it's the, the critical mind can be the block but there's even there's a, a guy called professor ian stevenson a canadian i think he was actually from scotland originally but he lived in canada and he studied past life regression it was actually past life recall in children that was his big thing he was with this professor ian stevens uh, one of the things that he said was that it seems to be around about seven that children will stop talking about the past life. So this is another common thing that 
a lot of children will speak about uh, their other life, their other mum, their other dad, their, when I used to live in that other place. So it's a common thing for a lot of children to sort of say these things. But he says at around about seven is when they start fade. Now, there's another uh, interesting study by a guy called Piaget, uh, a Swiss psychologist, I think he was, who, and he was actually involved in the Mensa. He was one of the assistants on the Mensa, uh, developing the Mensa test. But he did a lot of cognitive sort of development studies and the, the sort of the I think it's the pre-construct, do they call it, which is between two and seven years old is when the mind is, is hasn't fully developed its ability to write and what's right and wrong, making choices and things. So again, it's almost like as we get past that age of seven, eight, nine, our minds start to determine more of a constructed perception of things, uh, which writes, whereas before that, the mind is much more open. Uh, so it's almost like as we get older, our minds close to more constructed ideas. Whereas before that, the mind's like a sponge because it's trying to learn to adapt in its environment. It's trying to learn how to survive. It'll be taking even generational traumas and issues from its parents because it needs to. It needs to survive. It needs to adapt into its environment. And who better to learn from are the people closest to you who seem to have already done that. Did that. That's why we can develop, we take on a lot of other people's appearance, for instance, beliefs and behaviours, all because at that age of seven, our minds were like a sponge taking, learning so much. It's, in fact, it's supposed to be a hyper, it's a hyper state of learning. There are things that we can only do at that age that we can't do later in life. For instance, one example is perfect pitch. For them to recognise each note without so that's a C, that's a C sharp, that's a G, and they can and they can sing these notes perfectly. That apparently is impossible to learn when you're older, but at a younger age, when the mind's still developing, it's that's where you can learn this. So for anyone that wants to teach their kids perfect pitch, to have perfect pitch, give them complex um, music to listen to, whether it's classical music, jazz music, um, and even a lot of. Uh, in Asia, there's a lot of kids with perfect pitch. And one of the ideas I heard was that the reason for that is that if you think of a language like Mandarin, it's very phonetical. It's it's quite a complex sounding. Ours is very monotone, whereas a Mandarin one's quite rich uh, the way that they speak. Uh, I'm not, I won't try and, I will not insult anybody that speaks Mandarin by trying to, to, to give you an example of it. But, but you know, it's, it's very up, down, up, down. It was all over the place, the Mandarin. Sort of tone. It's a good example with the children, right? Because I mean, that also explains why we pick up so many things that not were not necessarily told to us, right? Because, like you said, there's something you can pick up visually, but also feelings, emotions, right? And that that stays with you and that forms up your life. Yeah. And then that's how you have your traumas and anxiety, even if, let's say, it wasn't a bad trauma to begin with. And bad is very relative because something that's bad for me might not be bad for you, and vice versa. Yeah, And uh, yeah, that's, that's a really good way of looking at it. And I know that one of the things that is really interesting to me when it comes to past life regression, it's not something I've done yet, but I'm really curious to explore, is this idea of the experience of in-between lives or in-between mm -hmm. life states. And that's a concept that I didn't really think about initially, but can we talk a bit more about what's this in-between lives that, that people talk about? Yeah, I call it between lives. There was a guy called Dr. Michael Newton, wrote some really good books. I think one was Journey of Souls, one was Destiny of Souls. So he studied something like 7,000 test cases over his career. He sort of moved into past life regression 
didn't really believe in it. But for some reason, people struggling with certain issues, they, and I think it was an accidental, uh, that someone regressed to a past life and resolved this issue that they seem to have. He, co- he coined it life between lives. So it's, I guess it's, it comes from an idea that we're born into this life, um, then we die and we go somewhere else and then we come back into another life. So the between lives or the, the life between lives is this, I guess, this in-between place where uh, from his all his studies, people, all these people were saying the same things, which was that there is soul groups, soul families that we all come together. And this is a common thing through past life is that your mother in that life could be your brother in this life. So it's almost like souls take different roles in our lives to learn whatever it is we're here to learn. Uh, and that's pretty much what the what came out of the Michael Newton work was that we're here at learning. We're here for a learning purpose. Each life will provide us with the experiences that we need to I guess, expand or to, to gain ascension, knowledge, whatever. So each life will provide that. So this between life seems to be the place where we would be planning these lives, where we are, we're energetic, so we're not physical people. We're, so I guess it's this whole spiritual aspect. The way I like to look at it is where we don't necessarily die. So again, it comes back to something like focus again that we can talk about. We are, so we'll, we'll live in this life. But for me, if you if you actually look at the, the, what the world that we live in, it's an energetic construct. It's not, if you start to look at atoms and atoms are the building blocks of all matter, apparently. But then when you look to an atom, it's got... 99.0% of space and then within there there's a nucleus which if you look in there protons and neutrons within that again is the quark quarks don't have size mass um, so there are events that appear and disappear we don't know where they disappear to they reckon to different dimensions or something but uh, so really that's what our constructed universe is is this energetic thing that doesn't seem to have physical matter even physical is the the magnetic repulsion of a negative charged electrons that give us this impression of a touch or my, my two fingers at the moment if I zoom in on them they don't actually touch there's still a space between them but it's the negative charged electrons of each repellent so if you look at the world from that perspective it's not quite what we believe it to be it's like a horse with a set of blinkers we are in a very narrow focus of experience uh, living this life at the moment for experience going through the dramas of the life and being challenged in certain ways for us to overcome those challenges and to be a better person, to be a stronger person. So each life provides the lessons. Um, the between life is when we expand back out. It's like rather than dying, I think it's more that we wake back up. We become more aware again. Our conscious awareness expands back to what we truly are, that we're not a physical body. We're actually some kind of um, energetic representation of a life. It's like a, I, I see it as a bit like a game that we are plugged into this game. We we load ourselves into this game and we play out through the the game. And if you think of any game, if the game was a case of like I think we've talked about it before, but Kong or something, where you can up and you try to jump over the barrels and the Kongs throwing the is it something in fire barrels and fireys sending down. Or Super Mario might be another example. If that game was just the case of that you just up the ladders, up the ladders, up the ladders, and got to the end, level one complete, up the ladders, up the ladders, up the ladders, level two complete, up the ladders, up the ladders, 
uh, with three. It was a boring game. And what's the point in even doing that? But the harder the challenges, the more that you're determined to get, to beat that challenge, to get through that challenge, and the better you get at the game. And I see life as that, is that the more challenges that we go through, the stronger that we get, the more experience that we're gaining. And to the point where, I guess, you complete the game. And then as you complete the game, you become, you can be the guide that then shows people how to navigate through their game because you have learned a lot of the, you've been through a lot of the challenges that they've went through. So, so this between life is really about, I guess it's the, it's maybe the truer state. It's the state of what we are and who we are and how we decide whether we come here to live this life or whether we decide to go somewhere else, which is another interesting topic we could go into, but it doesn't always need to be earth. But at the end of the day, we're all conscious beings experiencing. And through the experience, we're growing and learning and advancing to some state. That's a beautiful explanation. And it explains a lot why, for example, people that have a fear of death and then they experience something like this, mm-hmm. either through hypnosis or plant medicine or meditation or in any other way, they come out of that no longer fearing death. Because yeah. like you said, it's not necessarily dying. It's just waking up or realizing that you're a soul having a human experience. You're this energetic being or spiritual being having a human experience and not the other way around. And when you realize that this life is not the end when it's yeah. over, yeah. then I think it, it frees up your mind to not worry about it anymore. Sure, it doesn't mean yeah. you want to die tomorrow, but it lets you live life more fully. Yeah. When you look at the game analogy again, it's a bit like, imagine you're Super Mario and you're going along and then a ghost kills you. You don't go into absolute meltdown because your little character has died. You go back to the start and you start again and you figure out how to go past that ghost this time and then you go on to the next bit. That doesn't mean that when we lose somebody or we should just still be sitting thinking, oh well, it's, a, it's just a game, isn't it? You'll still feel that feeling. It's still there. And, yeah. you'll, and, it's more, and I think even that is actually a lost part of your life that part person might have meant something to you and contributed to your life and what you're feeling is the loss of that contribution because it maybe helped you in certain ways it made you feel certain ways so it's more the loss that you'll feel through a bereavement or something but from this perspective is that it's it's like we're plugged in to this matrix this game and at the end of it, we all return back to, it could be the soul family again, where where that person that you lost, they could have probably lived about a hundred lives with that same soul. Uh, and this is just one of the lives that you've lived with them. A beautiful way to look at it. And you, you mentioned that one thing we can touch on is this idea of, well, the soul family, but also how you choose where to go. And it doesn't have to be on earth. It can be somewhere else. What have you found in your... Yeah. So again, let's say the, the word aliens. Um, what is an alien? An alien is just another conscious being living its experience. We could be an alien. So this is, again, this could be something that, again, it's, so there's a whole concept as well that there is other beings from other places here helping this world because it's not the best place. So I guess it's we're, we're trying to raise some sort of, elevate some kind of consciousness in this this existence, this, this construct that we experience in, and there's help that happens in some of these other beings come into this game and take a life become become a human and live that life but they 
but as that being you may have had other experiences in other places as well. So again, this is was one of the strange things that comes through some of this these hypnotic sessions is that you may find that you are also part of some other group, not human. Or it's an interesting time that we talk about this because there's so much now being revealed through, particularly in America, where they're now starting to talk about okay, let's just say the aliens, UFOs, they're real, and they've covered a lot of this stuff up. So. At this time now, it's becoming more acceptable that and where institutions that have kept it quiet are now saying, okay, they're, they're real things. So this is just another way then of understanding, well, if they exist, then what are they? And for me, it's just that there are other conscious beings that maybe aren't as restricted in the way that we are living in this this existence, this earth experience. So, so yeah, so some people may experience other worlds, other places, other other groups of being that that work in certain ways just for their own learnings, just as we are learning, or other even other times or other places. So one of the big common ones that a lot of people talk about is places like Lemuria and Atlantis. And I mean, even now there's a lot of people still searching for these places and there's more and more things starting to come out that start to support these places that potentially existed and how it can explain some of the 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 unexplainable things like the pyramids for instance how how were they built how was there pyramids in mexico and pyramids over in egypt so there's so much unexplained stuff from our history that now seems to be starting to point toward more advanced beings that have existed that are responsible for this and a lot of and right away back to probably people like edgar casey who he was called the sleeping prophet he was a guy, I don't even know what, what ten, when he was about, maybe the 30s, I'm guessing, but but he was someone that was, through hypnosis, starting to give people answers to illness and information that they needed. But he spoke a lot about these ancient places. So again, it's another uh, thing that happens sometimes is the past life might not be uh, uh, 60 years ago. It could be 2,000 years ago or 10,000 years ago, probably, actually. So these are the other interesting things that seem to come up through the sessions. I suppose one thing I should touch on is some people might say, well, is this all just imagination? Are we all making this up? One of the things I'd probably say is technically we are making it up. If I said to you, think about your last holiday, your last vacation, and you would go, okay, I was in, let's pick a place, I don't know, the, the Maldives. I was in the Maldives, a beautiful beach. It says, but you're just making that up in your mind. Yeah, technically I am. I'm trying to remember it. I'm not there. I'm not physically in the Maldives. So the mind is reconstructing these memories. To support it as well as there's a lot of people that, I mean, there's, there's a really good document, a set of documentaries called The Ghost Inside My Child, I think, that was on Prime for quite a while. I don't know if it's still on it, but that was all children, given all these recalls of these past lives. They, they were going through sort of trouble sleeping, nightmares of crashing an airplane and and that documentary, the, the parents would start to look into who they say they are, the names, and start to find evidence of this in the past. There was even a guy, his name was Robert Snow. I think he was, he was a captain of the Indianapolis Police Department, and he did a past life regression. And he started to talk about, it was like an artist, I think it was a guy, a Carol... Carol Beckworth or something, I think the name was, which was this artist a hundred years ago. And all the things that he said, there were some like 30 points that he said. So it was things like, I think whiskey was maybe the drink of the time, but this artist preferred wine. 
he walked with a walking stick. He so there's all these points that he had, and out of something like thirty, I can't remember the exact, but something like thirty, twenty or something where he got right. And what he said was, there's actually people go to jail with less evidence than what uh, that I've got here that supports this past life regression sort of a uh, theory. And there's there's a lot of other stories similar. I've had people that have went searching this stuff, so. In a way, we're trying to construct the memory. Um, even our own memories now, they're never accurate. If you think about someone that maybe asked about a car crash or something, two witnesses, and two witnesses might give two completely different stories, and that's their perception of what happened. It's just what they saw. And there's another thing that this I've heard is the best way to preserve a memory is never to remember it because then because we'll try to reconstruct every time. And every time we reconstruct, we may distort it in some ways. Uh, and that's where memory becomes a bit subjective because it's it's a recreation of what we're trying to recall from a, a previous perception. That's a really good explanation there, Stephen. Love it, love it, love it. I do have one uh, last question for you. And you also talk about something called future life progression, which is something I haven't uh, heard much about. Can we dive a bit into that? So there's a concept that there is no time. Time is a, a construct within this reality, but spiritually there is no time. So that from that perspective, then time technically doesn't exist from a spiritual way. People people saying that time doesn't exist, I will argue that and say, well, it does exist because it's it's exists for us. We as a, in a 3D world and as a, a human experiencing, time is linear for us. And that's how we we kind of exist. We, we exist through cycles: the moon, the circling the earth, or the us going around the, the sun, or um, that day and night. It's all cycles. So everything's about cycles, um, and I guess that's measurable by time. So future life progression, um, I guess, is from that happening simultaneously. So what the future life progression is doing then is to try and go forward rather than go back to look forward into. Um, find out what is the what is the likelihood of what we're trying to achieve here. What are the lessons? Now there is one aspect of that. So no life is no life is predetermined completely. There's probably a framework or some idea of what it is that we want to learn and what paths we will choose as we move forward. We may take a completely different path. We might decide that we don't want to do that, and then we you know stall that path that learning that we've came here to do so no life is completely predetermined there's maybe a framework of what it is that we can experience to learn so future life progression for me would be it's the potential it's what where we what our life might look like or what it will look like if we follow a particular path and it may show you that you could if you make this choice now you could be living a life in abundance of happiness or if you make this choice and it's not maybe within your what you've planned to do, you may then have to go through some more difficulties until you can get to a point where you can make the right choice to get you to that better place. So so that's future life progression really. It's just about going forward rather than going back. But but again, it's basically the the law of the universe for me is free will. We can choose to be anything we want to be. We are creator beings that create our reality. So there is an infinite number of things that we can do. Some paths will complement our goals for learning. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a beautiful way to look at it, Stephen. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, wow, we covered so many <laughs> great topics here. It got me intrigued in, into digging deeper in, into some of these. So let's tell people where they can find more of your work and if they want to connect with you to to do a session, where can they find you? Yeah, so I probably exist the most on something like Instagram. So I do a lot of posting on Instagram. A lot of it's comedy. There's a lot of spiritual comedy. There's a lot of people going through difficult lives and humor is one of the best healers, I think. So I post a lot of funny spiritual memes and things. So I do a lot on, so people want to find me, find me on Instagram, message me if they want to do sessions on Instagram. They can go to my website as well and contact me through my website, which is just stephentill.com. And so they can find me through my website as well if they want to. Yeah, I will put those in the show notes as well for people to have. So Stephen, before I let you go for the day, is there anything else that you'd like to share or add that maybe we haven't touched upon? Covered a lot. It's a reminder. And of all the sessions that I do, and I even got up in a session for myself a long time ago, we touched on it a second ago that we're creator beings. We can create our life. Now, one of the things I think is that we can become a, a bit disassociated from maybe what we are, who we are spiritually, everything else. And one of the things that I'm always reminded of is nature. So we are not, um, we're not, nature's not out there in the forests and the grass and the hills. Uh, we are part of nature. That's, that is the natural creation of source of God, whatever you want to call it. That, and with it being among, being, I guess, reconnecting, people do grounding, barefoot stuff. All of that, being just even being among nature, hearing the, the birds, the sounds of the rivers, the, that's that's creation and that's what we are. That's why we probably feel so at home in these types of places because we're reminded that we are part of this overall creation. So I'd say that that is a good little kind of reminder that nature will help us to really disconnect a little bit from the, the chaos of the world, the na- unnatural way that we live and um, through the stresses, through even the the cities that we live in. Again, we're cut off from nature. So I think nature is a big key thing that if we remember that, then it can uh, help us a lot. Yeah, that's a great reminder there, Stephen, and a great way to, to end the show. So thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on this exploration of personal transformation. Your presence and engagement are at the heart of what we do, and I sincerely appreciate you, your time and thirst for knowledge, inspiration, and empowerment. Please consider showing your support by hitting like, subscribe, leaving a comment, or writing a review. Your engagement not only fuels our mission, but also helps others discover these insights. For more daily guidance on personal transformation across the mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical realms, be sure to visit our website at unleashthyself.com. You can also find us on Instagram at unleashthyselftoday, TikTok and YouTube at unleashthyself, and there we post daily content designed to inspire and empower you on your journey. If you have any specific thoughts, questions, or feedback, I truly value your input. Or if you'd like to have a conversation with me, or work with me, please feel free to email me directly at constantine at unleashthyself.com. I would love to hear from you. Together, we're building a community united in authenticity and purpose. Once again, thank you for being a part of this movement. Until next time, continue to embrace your true self and live a life on purpose, with purpose. See you in the next episode.